Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 36. The Talker and the Sailor. At the end of the last chapter, we left Athens and Sparta in peace. They had fought for ten years without really achieving anything, and peace was the only sensible option. Unfortunately, there were some people who didn't see the peace as a good thing. There were too many things that had not been sorted out for the peace to last, and so, of course, it didn't. The second half of the Peloponnesian War was dominated by two great men, one Athenian and one Spartan. We will tell the tale of the rest of the conflict by looking at the story of these two great commanders. The Athenian Alcibiades was born sometime around 454 BC and ended up getting adopted by none other than our old friend Pericles. Maybe he was thought of as an heir to the great man, but he spent far too much time partying and he didn't achieve this ambition straight away. He was, though, very ambitious, and he was determined to find a way to achieve power and greatness. He fought well and bravely during the first half of the Peloponnesian War and proved himself to be a good leader. He wasn't too keen on the peace of Nicias, and along with a few other leaders in Athens, was determined to see Sparta defeated for ever. One of Alcibiades' greatest skills was talking. He had what we call the gift of the gab. He was a very persuasive man. He could probably have talked Hades into letting him escape from the underworld. He was that good at talking. In 420 BC, there was a big meeting of the Greeks, mostly consisting of Athenians and their allies. Also in attendance were some delegates from Sparta and from some cities that were not allied to either side and were wondering which of the great cities to ally with. Alcibiades spoke beautifully and cleverly and pretty soon the important city of Argos and a few others allied with Athens. The Spartans, using the only tactics they really knew, decided to attack and recover Argos by force. Alcibiades, though, was too clever for them. He toured the Peloponnese and visited Argos. He improved the defences near Corinth and tried to persuade Corinth to abandon Sparta and join up with Athens. He didn't quite manage to do this, but he had succeeded in stopping the Spartans from attacking and reduced the Peloponnesian League so much that Sparta was much less powerful. But not for long. Argos, with the support of Athens, marched against Tegea. The resultant Battle of Mantinea was the largest land battle fought within Greece during the Peloponnesian War. The Spartans and allied Tegeans faced the combined armies of Argos, Athens, Mantinea and Arcadia. The result was a complete victory for Sparta. The cities of the old Peloponnesian League went back to it and the Athenians were no better off. Alcibiades had failed. What do we know about Alcibiades? Yep, he had the gift of the gab. When Alcibiades spoke, people believed him. The silver-tongued Athenian managed to convince the people that he'd nearly beaten Sparta and made them fight a long way from Athens to keep Athens out of danger. Alcibiades decided the talking was going well, so he went a bit further. A number of small cities on the island of Sicily had appealed to Athens for help. They were being forced into an alliance with the much larger city of Syracuse, and didn't want this alliance. We must send a fleet and an army to help these cities, Alcibiades declared. There is a lot of grain on Sicily. If we send forces to help them, we can be repaid in grain. And Syracuse is an ally of Sparta. If we defeat them, then we are defeating Sparta. And we all know that the Spartans don't like sailing. They won't send anyone to Sicily to help Syracuse. The Athenian assembly fell for it. 
Despite some very bad omens, a fleet was sent to Sicily, led by Alcibiades and two other generals, Nicias and Lamachus. The bad omens included some sacred statues called Herms being vandalised. The trip started well. Mr Persuasive taught quite a few of the cities in southern Italy to join with the Athenians. Unfortunately, while he was away, some of his enemies in Athens had been plotting against him. The sneaky assembly members declared the vandalism of the Herms had been carried out by Alcibiades himself. When the Athenian fleet landed at Catana, there was a trireme waiting for it. On it were soldiers with orders to bring back Alcibiades to Athens so he could be placed on trial for the crime. Alcibiades was in a bit of a pickle. But what did he have? Yes, he had the gift of the gab. Somehow, he managed to convince the people who had come to arrest him that he'd follow them back to Athens on his own. As soon as they had set sail, Alcibiades and his crew sailed off in the wrong direction. They escaped and fled. We will meet them again soon. The Athenian attack on Syracuse was a complete disaster. Lamachus was killed in battle and Nicias was left in charge of the whole expedition. He was a terrible general and the Athenians were defeated completely. In the end, a small fleet from Sparta turned up just at the right time to help Syracuse and defeat Athens. And why did a fleet from Sparta turn up? The Spartans, as we know, were not too keen on sailing, and it must have taken a lot of persuasion to get them to send a fleet. Was there someone like Alcibiades in Sparta too? Did they have their own Mr Persuasive? Well, yes and no. They didn't have their own Mr Persuasive, but they did have someone like Alcibiades. In fact, this person was very, very like Alcibiades, mostly because he was Alcibiades. The Athenian leader realised the only safe place where the Athenians wouldn't come after him and arrest him was Sparta. He arrived in the Peloponnesian city and talked the Spartans into letting him stay, saying, I will give you more aid and service as a friend than the harm I did to you as an enemy. The Spartans, of course, believed him. They let him stay and sent a small force to Sicily. He also talked them into building a fortification near Athens from which they attacked the Attican countryside. This forced the Athenians to hide behind their walls all year round. Alcibiades spent two years in Sparta before he fell out with the two kings. By now, he was running out of Greek friends, so he did the only thing he could think of. He travelled over to Ionia and walked into the court of Tisaphanes, leader of a Persian satrap in Central Asia Minor. He was immediately arrested and put in prison. Well, this is what should have happened. This is what would have happened if it had been any other Greek leader. But it didn't happen to Alcibiades. And why not? Because Alcibiades had the gift of the gab. The Athenian refugee persuaded Tisaphanes that he could use his influence with the Greek cities of Ionia. He said he'd talk them into rebelling against Athens. Of course, Alcibiades succeeded. Athens was forced to send a fleet, which set up base on the island of Samos. Some of the Ionian cities rebelled, but Athens managed to stop most of them doing so. Alcibiades told the Persians that they should enter the war between Athens and Sparta, once both sides were worn out with all the fighting. The Persians could then defeat everyone. So, Alcibiades had been accused of treason by Athens, had helped the Spartans against Athens, and then helped the Persians against both of them. It was difficult to tell whose side he was really on. Alcibiades was an Athenian, and it was Athens that he really loved. He travelled over to Samos and met with the leaders of the Athenian fleet. 
he managed to persuade the leaders that the democracy in Athens wasn't working very well. He told them he could give Athens the support of Tisaphanes in the war against Sparta. The leaders fell for it, and they persuaded the soldiers that this was the right thing to do. Before long, there was a new government in Athens, called the Government of the 400. Not long after that, Alcibiades was forgiven by Athens and all charges were dropped. He became an Athenian general once more. The government of the 400 was soon overthrown and democracy returned to Athens. Tisaphanes never sent a fleet to help them. None of this mattered to Alcibiades, though. He was back. In 410 BC, Alcibiades led the Athenian fleet to victory over the Spartans at the Battle of Abydos, near the Hellespont. The Spartans had been exerting more power in the Aegean, but they were beaten by Alcibiades and his better prepared ships. He then utterly crushed the Spartan fleet, which received help from the Persians at the Battle of Cyzicus. Every Spartan ship was either sunk or captured, and the leading Spartan general, Minderus, was killed. The Spartans were in such disarray they sent a note back to Sparta. It simply said, Ships lost, Minderus dead, men starving, no idea what to do. Alcibiades was the toast of Athens. For three more years he won battles in the Aegean and then, in 407, triumphantly returned to his home city. The criminal trial was officially abandoned and all of his property was returned to him. Alcibiades, quite definitely, was back. Unfortunately, it was not to last. It is at this point that the second of the great men of this chapter enters our story. The Spartan general Minderus was dead. The Spartans needed a replacement, and in 407 BC they chose a man named Lysander. Not much is known about the early life of this man, but it is thought that his parents were poor and that he rose up in the Spartan military through pure skill and hard work. Unlike most Spartans, he was a very good sailor and an excellent admiral. Minderus's death could not have come at a better time for Sparta. Lysander was determined to turn the tide of the Peloponnesian War. The Spartans had suffered defeat after defeat at sea and could not win the war unless they started to win naval battles. They were still virtually unbeatable on land, but at sea they just kept losing. Lysander made friends with Cyrus the Younger of Persia. He then began to build the best ships Sparta had ever had and created the strongest navy that the Peloponnesians had known. Meanwhile, Alcibiades was appointed commander-in-chief of the Athenian navy and told to defeat Lysander's new fleet. He sailed out to Samos, confident that he would win. Lysander's great navy was moored at Ephesus. The Spartan admiral simply refused to come out and fight, and he let the Athenians float around for some considerable time. Eventually, Alcibiades was forced to sail away and get some supplies. He put the fleet under the command of a man called Antiochus. Lysander saw his chance. While the Athenian leader was away, he and his Persian allies attacked the Athenians. Antiochus's ship was sunk, and he was killed by a sudden Spartan attack. Nine Athenian ships were then chased headlong back toward Notium, where the main Athenian force was caught unprepared by the sudden arrival of the whole Spartan fleet. In the fighting that followed, 15 Athenian triremes were captured, and seven more were sunk. The Spartans sailed back to Ephesus, having won a great victory, while the Athenians returned to Notium to regroup. It was the first time they'd properly lost a naval battle to Sparta, and they were not at all happy. Alcibiades' luck had run out. 
The defeat at the Battle of Notium gave his enemies in Athens the ammunition they needed to get rid of him. It wouldn't be long before they got their wish. Lysander was also replaced as commander because of a rule in Sparta which didn't allow one man to hold the command too long. He was back a year later though as his replacement was defeated in battle by an Athenian fleet. In 405 BC, using Persian cash, Lysander rebuilt the Spartan fleet yet again. He was soon attacking and taking Athenian islands and making a nuisance of himself. Athens had to respond. The Athenian fleet caught up with Lysander shortly after he had taken the city of Lampsacus and established a base at Sestos. However, perhaps because of the need to keep a close watch on Lysander, they set up a camp on a beach near Lampsacus. Every day, the fleet sailed out in battle formation and waited outside the harbour. Every day, Lysander refused to come out and fight. Every day, the Athenians went back to their camp. Our old friend Alcibiades happened to be living in a castle near the Athenian camp. The great man walked down to the Athenian camp and made several suggestions to the generals. First, he told them to move the fleet to a more secure base at Sestos. Second, he claimed that several Thracian kings had offered to provide him with an army. If the generals had offered him a share of the command, he said, he would use this army to help crush the Spartans. It seems, though, that poor Alcibiades no longer had the gift of the gab. Nobody believed him, and he was told to go away. Something had to happen to end the stalemate, and eventually it did. One day, the Athenian fleet came out as usual, and Lysander, as usual, remained in the harbour. As usual, the Athenians returned to their camp and the sailors scattered to forage for food. Lysander had been carefully watching what the Athenians did every day. On this day, as the Athenian soldiers and sailors were gathering food, he sailed his fleet across from Abydos. He captured most of the Athenian ships without even having to fight, and 4,000 Athenians were taken prisoner. The Athenian fleet was obliterated. Only nine ships escaped. The battle, called the Battle of Aegospotami, was the last between Athens and Sparta. Lysander sailed on towards Athens, taking city after city on the way. Without a navy, the Athenians were powerless to resist. Athens was put under siege and had no hope of holding out. In 404 BC, Athens, the mighty Athens, surrendered. The Spartans had won the Peloponnesian War. A new government was put in place in Athens by the Spartans. It was called the Rule of the Thirty Tyrants. It didn't last long, though. It was overthrown a year or so later. Alcibiades fled to Phrygia and attempted to make contact with the Persians, probably to ask them for help in a new war with Sparta. Sometime in 404 BC, the man with the gift of the gab's luck ran out. He was murdered. The circumstances are very mysterious. Nobody knows quite how or why he was killed. Lysander, the Spartan hero of the war, got involved in a civil war in Persia, but by 395 BC he was back in Sparta to help defend it from a new Greek enemy. The power of the city of Thebes began to grow as the power of Athens fell. In 395 a new all-Greek war started. This war would eventually weaken the Greek city-states enough for Philip II of Macedon to march in and defeat them all. Next week, we will hear about the rise of the city of Thebes and of the two men who led it. If you would like to comment on any of the episodes of the Myths and History of Ancient Greece, please contact me on email at mythandhistory at gmail.com. 
or you could find Paul Vincent Myth and History on Facebook and contact me through there. If you have the time, I'd be grateful if you could leave me a favourable review on iTunes. So, until we come back and learn about Thebes, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.